Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. Psalm 67, sung by the King's College Choir, is the psalm appointed for a day of thanksgiving. Why is that? It begins sounding an awful lot like the benediction that we hear in the divine service. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Thanksgiving Day, November the 24th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to spend some time with Dr. Tim Seleska of Concordia Seminary, reflecting on Psalm 67. And then, in hour two, we'll study the Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations, Come, with Pastor Will Whedon. Dr. Tim Seleska is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and author of the Concordia Commentary on the Psalms 1 through 50. Dr. Seleska, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be back, Todd. In the larger book of the Psalter, where does Psalm 67 fit in? Well, if you're talking about the overall structure of the Psalms, it comes in what is normally called the second book. If you look at the book of Psalms, you'll see that there are five places in the Psalms where there are doxologies at the end of groups of Psalms. And so book one ends at Psalm 42 with the doxology, and then the second book starts at Psalm 43 and goes through 72. So that's where it falls uh, in that group of Psalms. Do we have any idea how the, the ancient Hebrews employed this particular Psalm? We don't. Modern scholars, and I think very evidently, categorize it as a hymn. And so some of the backgrounds people suggest for it is during the harvest or in Thanksgiving for the harvest, 
or something like that. And I think that's probably even reflected in the fact that this is a psalm assigned for our thanksgiving. Why is that? Do you think it is just largely because it mentions there in verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase? Well, I think there's that, but that's almost an incidental part of the psalm when you see it. I think the larger theme of praise and thanksgiving, which is quite expansive actually in this short little psalm, is the reason. You know, there's that note. There's a, it comes in this group of kind of hymns that started kind of Psalm 65, 66, 67, 68, until a lament occurs in 69. So it's this small group that where the note of praise and thanksgiving is stronger. And one of the Hebrew words in the text can be translated as either thank or praise. And of course, those are kind of two sides of the same coin when you think about it anyway, the English words. And so it's appropriate for a number of reasons that it be sung. But I don't think it was restricted just to harvest times. I think that you could see it as a more general prayer that becomes quite expansive when talking about the, the blessings of God. And in fact, it, it really forsakes the uh, kind of creation stuff to go to history very much so in the course of the psalm which makes it very interesting and rather unique. That's one of the reasons, I think. It is prefaced by some direction to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. What does that element tell us? So the to the choir director, that's the traditional way to understand it, and I think that that is right. When you read passages, especially in Chronicles, but also in the books of Samuel, when David became king, he set up groups from the Levitical family that was in charge of the worship at the tabernacle. So that there were various groups, Levitical families, in charge of music, performing music, writing music. And so we are assuming that there were choirs of various kinds and there was a certain structure to that that, of course, we don't know about. And so we generally understand that lamenatzeach uh, to the choir director as an indication that this psalm was either written by someone else for him to then put into practice, or maybe it was by him that whoever that person may have been, it was probably various persons at various times, who would then inculcate it or integrate it into Israel's worship life. I tend to think of the book of Psalms, similar to our hymn book, as an anthology of sacred pieces that are loosely held together by themes, you know, similar to our hymns, and has some deep theological thinking to them that enriched Israel's worship life around the temple, the sacrifices, the sanctuary. And then the next term, on strings, again, that's kind of a guess. The Hebrew word there's a verb behind that that means to play an instrument with strings, and the, the noun is formed from that. This title is in various psalms. I think four or five other psalms at least has with strings. And so you have the suggestion that there was accompaniment 
this one was intended to be accompanied. That doesn't necessarily mean that none of the others were accompanied by musical instruments, but it's noted in the title. And then you have probably the second most common word in the titles that we see as psalm. And then the next word, song, which is probably the most common word. And whether those indicate, it's interesting because they occur most of the time in separate psalms, but in certain psalms they're grouped together. And so we don't know if they're terms that refer to certain genre or certain kinds of melodies or what. You know, they're just general terms to describe what we're going to hear or what we're going to speak. There's a lot of words like that. Sometimes a psalm is called a prayer. Sometimes it's called a praise. And then there's various terms that no one has any idea what they're about anyway. So this one does not have an authorship in it. Notice the next psalm does by David. And Psalm 66 doesn't either. And so you get certain psalms in this section of the Psalter that don't always have a authorship attribution to them. It begins, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine upon us. That sounds a lot like what we call the Aaronic benediction from the book of Numbers that's commonly used in the divine service. Yes. So I think that he's making a deliberate allusion to two things. First of all, notice with the word, let he will bless us. It alludes to Abraham and the promise, so that great covenant with Abraham. And then also, as you say, um, very intentionally, the benediction to Aaron. And I think that that's kind of what I always tell students when you look at a psalm is one of the things as you're looking at the various images and language, you want to hook it back up to the larger story of which this psalm is a background or that forms the background for this story, much like our hymns don't make any sense apart from the story of which they are part and from which they draw. And so one of the things you begin to do is interpret the meaning of the psalm in light of God's blessings to his people and the promises that he made both to Abraham and to his descendants and also then through the ironic benediction, knowing that when the blessing came, may the Lord bless you and keep you, that the people Israel had assurance and faith and trust that God would indeed do what he had said to them in that blessing. What is this concept of be gracious to us? So this is where you get the psalm that's not necessarily attached to a historical situation. In other words, the grace that the people see or experience is experienced in concrete ways through the blessings that he gives them throughout their life and in many different ways. And so we only see any kind of specification of that when you get to the very end of the psalm, right? When he talks about the produce, the crops, for example. But before that, you see it much more far-ranging, right? When we start to understand this in the light of what God has done for us in Christ, it takes on a certain concrete form that way. And so you see in the Psalms in general 
prays for the blessings that God gives to his people that assure them that he is the one who keeps his promise, that he favors them, and that he will continue to be with them. And that theme expands through the rest of the psalm, especially by the end of the first stanza, at the end of your verse, I think it's in the English text, it would be verse 5, I think. I can't remember now. In Hebrew, it's verse 4 is the end of the first stanza. You can see the refrain. This second line here, make his face shine upon us. What is that concept in the Old Testament? All right. So there's this idea, and it's very strong in the Psalms, that when God turns his face from you, that's when bad things happen. <laughs> when he hides his face, when he turns his face away from you. You know, we have the structuring metaphors, light and dark, which the scriptures use as well. And so the shining face is a way for the Israelites to describe when God is favoring them. He's looking towards them with his grace and favor and favoring them and showering them with his love and blessings. And so I think it's helpful to look at it in terms of the opposite that the Psalms also talk about when they cry to God, why have you turned your face from me? And then they use other terms like, why are you sleeping? Why have you abandoned me? Why has your face not shined on me? Those kinds of phrases you see. Dr. Tim Seleska is our guest on this Thanksgiving Day We are reflecting on Psalm 67, Psalm appointed for a day of Thanksgiving. He's professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and author of the Concordia Commentary on Psalms 1 through 50. The next words that we will take up, that your way may be known on earth. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff, and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. God bless you from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. 
We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Thanksgiving Day, we are walking through the psalm appointed for a day of Thanksgiving, Psalm 67, with Dr. Tim Seleska, Professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. In the English, verse 2 is begins, that your way may be known on earth. That's obviously picking up from the previous lines, Dr. Seleska. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, your way known on earth? All right. Thanks very much, Todd. This is where the psalm gets exciting and, I think, and very relevant to us, I think it bears some unpacking as we look at the relationship between the previous verse and this one a little more closely. Remember, in the previous verse, it goes, God will um, be gracious to us and he will bless us. May his face shine upon us. And the first question I ask myself is, who is the us that God is so gracious to? And the immediate answer is Israel, given that God made the promise to Abraham and to his descendants, and the benediction that Aaron gave in Numbers 6 was to Israel. Then notice where the psalm goes in the next verse, and it's really beautiful. So Notice that the, that the voice in this psalm is saying that God's going to bless us, make his face shine on us for the purpose that your way might be known on the earth. Now, initially, the way can be used in a number of different contexts, like this is the way you are supposed to live. This is the set of commands in which you are to walk. But it can also be used in a gospel sense. This is the way that I want to lead you, this is the way that leads to salvation. And so that's why the Psalms give us this second line, among all the nations, your salvation. And so again, see how those two lines parallel each other. And the surprising move is when he talks about among all the nations. So he does not say, so that your way might be known among us. But think again of the blessing that God gave to Abraham. In you, all nations will be blessed. And so here you see that blessing now running in the background of this psalm. The voice in the psalm is actually going from Israel to salvation for the nations. And that's a wonderful theme that underlies the promise that God made to Abraham and the patriarchs, and it's, of course, a stream of prophetic preaching, most commonly or most well-known, obviously, like Isaiah 53 passage, in which uh, the servant is a light to the nations. And, of course, that picks up hugely theologically important messages for us as we move to Jesus and to the New Testament. But notice how in the background of these verses, I think you should see that benediction or promise to Abraham and the wish that it be fulfilled. And so he goes from there 
to this great refrain that you see two times in the psalm, may the peoples praise you, O God. May the peoples praise you, all of them. And again, that should hit home to all of us because notice that the big thing point that Paul makes in Romans, especially 9 through 11, but especially 11, is that we have been grafted in to Israel's story. God has given us the blessing that he gave to Israel through our Lord and Savior. And the New Testament kind of talks that language all over the place so that baptism is what brings us into that kingdom and makes us heirs of the promise along with Israel. And as soon as I see that and make that connection, then this psalm becomes relevant for me because I'm the nations. And thanks to the grace of our Lord, I have become a participant in the salvation of God, your salvation. Notice the point is made. And I would expand that to say, this is the salvation you give. And it also runs counter notice, Todd, to most of the Psalms in which the enemies and Israel are at odds, in which there's a gap between them. And some of the Psalms in which the speaker of the Psalm is calling down curses on the enemies. So this is quite a different and lovely theme that you see here, that you see in a few other Psalms as well, but really kind of an important part of the book of Psalter and, of course, vital as it begins to wend its way into the New Testament. So this theme in the Old Testament of expanding from the chosen people Israel out to the nations is so enormous. I mean, as you said, it's there from the time of Abraham. And in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. I've come to the conclusion that it's really impossible to completely understand the New Testament Gospels and the book of Acts without understanding what is kind of called the Gentile problem for the early Christians. I think a lot of the Gospel stories, the narratives and stories are chosen precisely to say the Gentiles are included in Christ's sacrifice. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that that's right. And remember, you know, Peter had to have that vision that the Lord gave him after his resurrection and ascension to understand just how far-reaching the message of the gospel is and how transformational it is. And it goes all the way until uh, Paul can say, you know, those of us who are in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you know, for we are all one in our Lord and heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham. That's a beautiful section of Galatians. And it gives us a new appreciation for the depth and riches of God's grace that takes place quite outside the law. So it's used first, that word all nations in verse two, it is then paralleled with the peoples. And then we're back to let the nations be glad and sing for joy. It says in verse 4, for you judge the peoples with equity. I want to pause right there for a moment. What does it mean that God judges all nations? I think that's a very good question because our reflex in seeing that is to think, judge, oh, you give people just what they deserve, right? You judge according to the law. But see, that doesn't fit with a joyful note of the psalm, right? 
why should all the nations rejoice that you're going to get just what you deserve? Because what we all deserve is eternal death, right? And so this word doesn't mean just to judge in the sense of a court of law, but in the Old Testament, it can also mean it's also a saving word, right? So the book of Judges should better be called the book of saviors because that's what those guys did. They didn't just administer law, right? They saved Israel from their enemies over and over again. And it's the same word. And so I just remember way back when I was taking Old Testament at the seminary from Horace Hummel, this word, shafat, has this narrow meaning to judge, but also this expansive meaning that spills over into justification language. And so the idea that you will rule the people with uprightness would be even a little better translation than judge because it just takes us as English speakers in the wrong direction here when we should be in the area of the gospel. All the people are going to praise. Notice they're going to rejoice and shout for joy. Why? For you are the one who judges people uprightly. And what does that finally look like? Quite apart from who they are, you know, quite apart from their racial makeup, so to speak, or their adherence to the law, there is a righteousness outside of the law that is in the background of this phrase, which leads to the joy and rejoicing that God gives us. And I realize that this, that's a challenging way to read the text, but again, I'm reading it in light of what God's salvation really is when it comes to our Lord and what grace and the gospel actually mean. And that is obviously influencing the direction that I'm understanding these lines because the law is never good news, right? The law is going to kill you every time. It's going to accuse you all the time. And yet you have this great line and the wish that the people rejoice and shout out loud to hear it. Let me just finish with the end of verse 5. And the peoples on land, you will guide them. See, notice that that's one of the same words used in Psalm 23. You guide them. That's a gracious guiding and leading. And notice it picks up on the image of so that all people may know your way. And um, notice that the metaphor of life as a journey, you're being guided and you're not doing your own guiding. And What's interesting, I, I think that's why Christ intentionally uses the same image to describe himself. I am the way. So if you want to think about it in the light of the gospel and who Jesus is, when you think of the way and you hook it up to the larger story of which the climax and the ultimate center of history is Jesus, it transforms how you read the psalm, see? Because all of a sudden now you're seeing to know your way. Oh, that eventually leads to salvation, which is our Lord and Savior. And the same thing with you will guide them. We have a gentle shepherd who guides us and leads us to the places that he wants us to go, and those are good places. Dr. Tim Seleska of Concordia Seminary is leading us in a study of Psalm 67. You're connected to issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. That's what we try to provide for you on a daily basis here on Issues, etc., if you're thankful for this worldwide media outreach, please make a special Thanksgiving gift for a year-end tax-deductible donation of $250 or more. We'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. 
You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about certain words there in verse 4 of Psalm 67. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with a pleasing aroma, God blesses Noah, sign of the covenant, Noah and the wine, and descendants of Japheth. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th for the 2024 Why for Life Free Conference. Registration is open through December 15th. Learn more at why4life.org. Great events, speakers, and social time. The 2024 Why for Life Free Conference, January 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C., Y4life.org. The people of St. John Lutheran Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana would like to welcome you to our family of faith. Come experience forgiveness, life, and salvation through God's work in word and sacrament. If you're in the Southwest Louisiana area, we would love to get to know you. Join us for divine service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. with Bible studies and classes for youth, adults, and children at 9.15 a.m. Check us out on Facebook. St. John Lutheran Church, Lake Charles, Louisiana. The peace of the Lord be with you always. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Concordia Lutheran, Jackson, Tennessee, Good Shepherd Lutheran, Sherman, Illinois, Emmanuel Lutheran, Eagle, Nebraska, Messiah Lutheran, Danville, California, Our Savior Lutheran, North Royalton, Ohio, Redeemer Lutheran, Lincoln, Nebraska, St. John Lutheran, Napoleon, Ohio, St. Paul Lutheran, Milford Center, Ohio, Trinity Lutheran, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Zion Lutheran, St. Charles, Missouri. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.
Welcome back. We are looking at Psalm 67, the psalm appointed for a day of Thanksgiving on this Thanksgiving Day with Dr. Tim Seleska. He's author of the Concordia Commentary on Psalms 1 through 50. I wanted to go back up into the English verse for my translation for you judge the peoples with equity. You said you rule the peoples in uprightness. What is that term that ends there, the equity or uprightness? Yeah, again... It's common to think of this in terms of the law and to think, okay, this means God's going to give everyone a fair deal, just what they deserve. You know, that's how we think of justice in our world, right? But I am challenging everyone to see this within a gospel context that what God decides is right goes. And so he's the one that gets to determine that, not us. And the marvelous thing of the gospel is the gift of his righteousness or his justification is him saying, hey, you are all right with me. And it doesn't depend on what you have done. And so it gives a whole new meaning to God will rule with uprightness or he will administer justice rightly whether you think of it in terms of the law or the marvelous depth of the gospel. And so you can, be, again, begin to see the radical shift when you think, oh, God is the one who gets to decide that. And he's decided it in our case when he tells us, hey, your sins are forgiven. I declare you right, just, justified. And so that's how I'm understanding the line. And of course, even my saying that leads all of us to what? Rejoice and sing for joy over what God has done. And notice it fills that abstract word salvation that was used earlier with a certain kind of content. What do we mean by God's salvation? Well, not just physical things, you know, not just food and clothes and prosperity and all those, although he graciously gives us those too. But ultimately, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins, salvation from death, eternal life. That's a huge way that we begin to think of who we are as God's people, as God's Israel who have been brought into the covenant by his grace. The first time that stanza occurred in the English verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. It came as kind of the culmination of gathering the nations under his saving power. What is slightly different when it occurs the second time? So now the focus is squarely on nations, and he's used several different words to describe people outside of Israel whom he wants to be brought in to Israel, and he wants their God to be the people's God, right? So by reiterating the refrain, not only does it help you through the psalm, but notice that there is kind of a jump in detail. So in the first stanza, so that they may know your salvation, and now it's this response, let them rejoice and be glad, because of what you've done with this, for you will rule or administer justice with uprightness, and people, you will lead them. And so notice you kind of are getting some more specifics as to what it means when you know God's way, and you find out, oh, God is the one leading on the way. You are not going to stray. You're the 
object of his affection and his care. And so by reiterating in that second stanza, he gives a related but somewhat distinctive motivation for praising and thanking God. And again, those words, may they praise you, can also be translated very easily as may they thank you. And that, again, adds a little different nuance to the psalm when you translate it that way. So go into a little more detail there, because that word praise is a pretty big one in the Psalter altogether, isn't it? Yes. So there's different words for praise, and actually sometimes the word that we're translating bless here can be translated as praise when it's directed towards God. And then there's the more common word for praise, which we all know as hallel, hallelujah, which is very common in the Psalms. So this one occurs in a lot of contexts where those other words occur. So it's part of a group of synonyms to describe Israel's response to the Lord and to what he has done for them. And this particular one is not as common as Hallel, but occurs in parallel, like I said. And so in a lot of contexts, you're always wondering, okay, what's the best English gloss or translation? So when it occurs, especially in parallel with Hallel, praise, the tendency is to translate it with the same word. In this context, it's, I think, more up for grabs. And you can kind of go both ways. May they praise you and may they thank you. And I think that leads to kind of a nice discussion when you have those two words that are synonyms. How do praise and thanksgiving relate to each other? In a sense, there's a great overlap. When we're thankful to someone and we start to thank them, there's certainly a note of praise and joy and gratitude at the same time that we're giving thanks. And when you praise someone, well, you're praising them for something, and it's generally for what they've given you. So they're two sides of the same coin. And so I go back and forth with the English translation, actually. It's repeated, boom, boom. I mean, notice four times in those refrains. And it says emphatically at the end of the second line of that of that verse, first it says, let the people give thanks, O God. Then it says, let the people give thanks, all of them. Yes, How should we Correct. understand that? So, uh, I mean, it's inclusive. So, may they praise you, may the peoples praise you, all of them. And so, the wishes or the desires of the speaker here don't want to leave anyone out. It's this kind of powerful inclusiveness that kind of boggles your mind. And that's the reach that, you know, the Great Commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations that I hear echoes of in that that word. I remember one of my professors, Dr. Norman Nagel, walking through that passage you just cited there in Matthew 28 and saying, there's a lot of alls going on there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go to all nations, making disciples, baptizing and teaching them to observe all whatsoever I have commanded you. This is as big as it gets, isn't it? Yes, exactly right. The all, don't. it's not hyperbole, it's kind of straight, literal meaning of the all. All means all. 
We're talking with Dr. Tim Seleska. We are looking at the psalm appointed for a day of thanksgiving on this Thanksgiving Day, Psalm 67. On the other side, we come to that verse that may be the reason it's appointed for this day. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Welcome back. We're looking at Psalm 67 on this Thanksgiving Day with Dr. Tim Seleska. He is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. So we come to English verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Let's deal with that. The earth has yielded its increase first. Yeah, so notice that that occurs at the end of the psalm. And as I said at the beginning of our time together, the predominant psalm is about God's work in history, notice. That's kind of in the background of how we've been talking about. And now you get this reference to the harvest, a very concrete, important need for people, still people today, right? If there's drought, there's going to be famine. If there's disease and the crops don't grow, there's going to be famine. And so just think of how important that little line is as a concrete indicator of God's faithfulness. The earth has given its 
produce, it's increase. So again, we tend to think that God is not active in that process. But one of the things that uh, such a line like this reminds me of is that God is in control of all things. And as we know from the prophets, he very often sends droughts to destroy the crops. But here, they know that God is the one who has favored them. Again, I do want to point out that the word order of the blessing is a little different than in the first part of the psalm. You can also translate the second half of verse 7 as, may God, our God, bless us. And so, having looked at the crops, they are again kind of moved to that kind of blessing language or that remembrance of all things come from him. And looking to the future, they are asking that God do the same thing for them. I also am challenged by the us now, because at the beginning of the psalm, the us was Israel and in distinction from the nations. And then when you go through the middle of the psalm, the nations are brought into that blessing. And so when I hear the, may God bless us, may God, our God bless us, every bone in my body wants to think more inclusively now. Yeah, the us refers to all people. And by having an inclusio like that, Notice that the end of the psalm kind of brings us back to the beginning, the same place, except we're not in the same place because the psalm has challenged us to rethink who are the recipients of God's blessing. And again, the blessing that we have in mind is not just the crops, but goes back to the blessing that God gave Abraham that was reflected in the Aaronic benediction and that the crops are a kind of a continuing sign or assurance that uh, God is for his people, that he's on their side, that they are indeed his people. It's really nice for me to think more inclusively now of the us, because now the psalm has changed us, formed us, or given us a perspective that maybe we had forgotten a little bit in the course of reading it. Is there an eschatological tone or perhaps facet to this harvest theme at the end of this song? That's a good question, and I am not sure, to be honest with you. I mean, we can always kind of think of it in those terms. And so I'm assuming that you're thinking of the harvest in terms of evangelism, right? The fields are ripe for harvest. And yes, and, and, uh, and, the, and yeah. you know, the final harvest of the resurrection. Yeah, and the final harvest of the resurrection. I mean, I think that that's certainly possible. And it is kind of an interesting, actually, thought. Those are the kinds of observations I like, because now you can begin to see how the Bible uses certain images in the furtherance of its message. It's very interesting, very possible. How should we understand, let all the ends of the earth fear him? I don't think there's much ambiguity on that word fear there. Yeah. So again, having gone through the psalm, the fear has is not like terror, right? But this has much more of a worship him, trust in him. There's a healthy respect, obviously, but also kind of a much more positive or constructive understanding of what fear is if you've been the recipient of all these great promises. So 
I think, a little fuller understanding of fear beyond what we normally think of as afraid of or terrified of is more appropriate here. Would it be too much to say that it is more akin to, as we have in Luther's explanation, the fear, love, and trust of God in all things? See, I think that's a fuller understanding of fear, right? So it involves love and trust, hope, those kinds of things. On a Thanksgiving day when people are going to be praying this psalm, what in essence are we asking God for here in this song and and prayer? I think that for Thanksgiving, you know, the tendency is to focus on all the physical blessings, which is not a bad thing, right? So even the psalm brings that up. But I think it's helpful for that and then a reminder that, hey, you got, we need to think intentionally that God is actually the one who gives or takes away as he will. And when he gives, this is something to praise the Lord for and bless him for. I also think that the kind of inclusive theme throughout the psalm reminds us that the church is not to be a place for d- division, but reconciliation. And I think that you know, you always have these jokes about families gathering at Thanksgiving and all these, we think about what's happening in the world and in the church with all the divisions and fightings. This psalm has a very different vision for God's people. When the Gentiles and nations can be included in the blessing, even in Old Testament terms, I mean, think of the radical nature of what that means for the kingdom of God and God's people. So I think that Thanksgiving presents us with a time to reflect on the past, but also have a certain direction to go for the future in our lives together as we think about what salvation really means, who it's for, what God's blessing really entails ultimately. I'm struck by the kind of historical perspective. We talked earlier about how From the Old Testament, it is anticipated always that the Gentiles would be brought in. The church struggles with that in its early days. What do we do with the Gentiles who are coming in droves to believe in Jesus Christ? And then we have a very different perspective. We sit at a place in history where the church is almost entirely a Gentile entity, almost entirely the nations that were once afar off being brought near. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, that's right. And that shows you this, tr- this great blessing. I mean, you know, Paul in, in Romans 9 says, you know, those are children of Abraham by the promise, not by anything else. And I think that it just hammers home how important it is for people to hear the gospel that the way to be brought in the kingdom is through someone being, uh, hearing God's message through which the Holy Spirit brings people to faith. So in a sense, it's kind of heartbreaking what has happened to the Jewish people. And you know, we need to be very mindful, as Paul reminds us, that, hey, we're the ones grafted in, and think very clearly about how might we reach those people and others who have no idea who Jesus is or what he's about. What kind of witness do we give and how do we give it? So you've brought up some big issues and challenges for the church to wrestle with. And how do we take those things seriously and not 
think of ourselves as just looking inward to kind of preserving certain things, but also how do we have this mindset where we look outward and bring other people into the blessing that God brings people into through his word and through his promises. Finally, how does Psalm 67 on this Thanksgiving Day not only call for our Thanksgiving, but actually shape Christian Thanksgiving? Oh, good. So it calls for it, as you said, but very definitely shapes us by having us contemplate the truths behind the blessing. You know, when we, again, when we think of it in terms of the promise that God made to Abraham and what that means for us, then it has much more far-reaching effects. Dr. Tim Seleska is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. He's authored the Concordia Commentary on Psalms 1 through 50. You can purchase this commentary at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 and ask for the Concordia Commentary Psalms 1 through 50 by Dr. Tim Seleska. Tim, thanks. Oh, you're very welcome, Todd. Thanks for having me, and have a great Thanksgiving. After the break, we will study the ancient and quintessential Advent hymn, Savior of the Nations Come, with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Church's Music from the 20th Century. The 17th Century. The 11th Century. century. The fourth century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. 
I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is, 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. <laughs> 